Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello, imaginative people. I'm Anna Tissard, and this is episode 34 of Brainstorium. Before we get started with today's show, yes, the Alice in Wonderland miniseries is over, but not if you haven't listened to it yet. It's timeless and will always be out there. And I've also now put up transcripts for each of the Wonderland shows on the Brainstorium page at anatizard.com. So if you want to nip back and read over any of my insights about Wonderland or listen to them, you can do so on a dedicated page for each show that's linked at the Brainstorium page. But the gameplay in the second half of each show is not transposed, as the process of actual magic is not reducible in that way. Now, I haven't talked about it for a while, but I'm now in the editing stage of my short story collection, which is to be the third volume in the Book of Exquisite Corpse. Originally, perhaps foolishly, I thought I might be publishing it this summer, but it's clear now that it's going to be much more like autumn. It, it remains a mystery to me how some stories just flow out straight away and hardly need much editing at all, and others take up a lot more time and even have to be rewritten from scratch. But I do like a meaty short story. I like to pack a lot in. And so some of the tales that will land up in the collection are more like um, eight or 9,000 words, um, as opposed to a more standard length of uh, two to 4,000 words. There'll be a mix. But whatever length a story might become and how much work it may go into it, one of the main decisions that we all have to make when we first start drafting something is whether to write it in the first or third person. It's a major decision to decide how to express the character's viewpoint as I or as he or she. I've often noticed that at the beginning of a new draft, I can be quite unsure which way to choose. In fact, one story I've been working on recently about an alchemist who makes a discovery right before he's meant to retire, I originally wrote in third person, and then when I came back to it, I found myself wanting to rewrite it completely in first. Quite unusual for me, I'd say. Plus, I have a longer story for the collection that's in two parts, where part one is from a third person point of view for one character as she, she's quite evil. And then the second part shows the perspective of another character in first person. 
So this is an aspect of writing and writing techniques that is very much on my mind at the moment as I do my editing. So today I'm taking a look at the advantages of writing in third person using my most recently published book, the award-winning Eye for Immortality, as an example of how you can use third person to balance intimacy with an element of mystery and to maximise on the benefits specific to that technique. Grab a cup of tea. We're going in deep, people. I used to be most comfortable by far writing in first person. It's what came most naturally to me, like a diary or the feeling of someone talking to you directly. It felt natural. And this is pretty unsurprising since most of the time when we're in conversations, we talk about ourselves and our experiences in the first person. We say, I did this and I thought that. So of course, it will feel natural to most of us, certainly when we're starting out. But some years ago, when I first started testing out third-person narrative in longer pieces, it amazed me how much more flexibility this actually gives you. You're not stuck inside that person's head all the time. Not every sentence is something they think or do or have done to them. In third person, your mental camera lens can more easily pull away, take in other details and details that your character might not see. The action doesn't have to be what's happening to them all the time. You can pull in again. In third person, you can interject with their thoughts and describe their feelings and reactions in quite a similar way to what you do with first person usually. Um, but you can also describe what happens in the sorts of words they may not use. Although I prefer to use the sort of language that the character might use themselves and stay close to their personal experiences, even in third person. You have that flexibility according to your own style and according to the needs of that particular story. Sort of work out what suits it best. I'll give you an example of how to do this, how to use a character's own language in third person to flavour the narrative and make it feel more intimate. Eye for Immortality, the second volume in the Book of Exquisite Corpse, is in what I call close or intimate third person. The protagonist, who's called Flo, is an artist who loves to paint. I used this to literally colour her experiences. She often thinks of emotions in terms of colour, and colour in the form of emotions, because to her as an artist, they're very much intertwined as part of her personal expression. I also used plant imagery sometimes to describe her feelings, partly because plants were among the first subjects which Flo learned to paint. So they're close to her heart and they're where her inspiration to become an artist was first sparked. In Flo's mind, there's a real crossover between 
textures, colours, emotions and experiences. And it's part of my style to find an overlap, perhaps a magical overlap, between physical and psychological. It's just what I love to do. So I'll read, I'll just read to you a little bit uh, from page nine in Eye for Immortality, if I can find the page, uh, where Flo recalls how she first discovered painting. Flo had spent the whole endless summer swimming in daydream lakes of colour, textured strokes of oil paint, watercolour that blossomed on the page like clouds, acrylics thick with the bite of a new apple. Beauty and strangeness filled her mind, and she realised all she wanted in life was to be an artist like her grandmara. A grand purpose she fantasised about daily. Then the news of her mother's passing, like the beat of the deepest indigo, the pain of it tiger lily sharp, the petal rolled tight, gathered and coiled into a knife point in her heart. Flo breathed and blinked slowly, letting it pass. This was why she didn't like to think too long on that summer. So I'm just, just pulling back there at the end. You go in deep, you come up close to the character's feelings and everything is vivid and thick with meaning. Then you pull back so you don't overload the reader with too much ongoing description or emotion. We see her pull back as well, trying to move on rather than dwelling in her thoughts or painful memories for too long. And that way, the story can move on into action. It's kind of a dance, drawing closer, pulling away, keeping the story moving, but touching it with colour and psychology, or literally colour as psychology, if you are flow in Eye for Immortality. If you've read the book, you'll also know there's more to these plant analogies as a central theme. The idea of plants having a consciousness that can speak to us, commune with us, is something that, shall we say, blossoms gradually throughout the story with some menacing implications. With flow in Eye for Immortality, I liked having just that little bit of distance from her in third person. She had that little bit of mystery in her. There was a part of her that I knew I couldn't and didn't want to fully express. A little nugget of mystery, a sort of unanswered question. And it made me feel that all things were possible in this story. She might do anything. That really appeals to me as a discovery writer, in case you hadn't already guessed. But um, holding something back was also part of how I built up suspense and tension. When the story reached extremes and drew close to horror, Flo's feelings would have become overwhelming to write. And in third person, I felt I could really maximise on the things you don't say. When she reaches a kind of black hole of emotion, I could more easily express that sort of blankness that came over her. 
when her consciousness just couldn't cope with what was happening to her. To have written that in first person would have been really difficult. And if you express an extreme part like that too much, too well, certainly in first person, where you're hearing all their thoughts, unless you pull back, it might be too much for the reader. It might put them off and make them close the book. Effective writing is just as much about what you don't say than what you do say. In both first and third person, you can find ways to retreat from emotions and focus on the action, leaving certain reactions to be guessed at, for we never want to be told absolutely everything. But in this instance, considering where I wanted to take Flo's character, it worked for me much better in third person. Why should the mystery of a story just be within the plot itself? We all have a bit of mystery inside us, the potential to be altered by an experience or to do unexpected things. Third person invites us to use that bit of space, that wiggle room for the character, to withhold and not describe an intimate reaction or feeling from time to time, letting the reader fill in the gaps or be surprised. Just to note, what I've been describing is intimate third person, also known as limited third person, when you stick to one point of view character at, at one time and you remain close to their impressions and experiences. There is also third person omniscient voice, which can dip in and out of different points of view, but this has to be handled very carefully because if you're expressing the character's thoughts and then you dip into another character's point of view, the, the reader will go, hey, what's going on? And it can be quite confusing and jarring. It breaks the tension and jolts us from what was flowing freely. So if you want to experiment with different points of view in one story, it's best to change the point of view only when there's a new scene or a new chapter, if it's something longer, and make it clear what you're doing so the reader doesn't have this dizzying moment of, okay, so who is this now? There are other disadvantages to omniscient third person point of view because you also have to insert tags like he wondered or she thought to indicate who it is you're talking about. And these phrases, they may only be he wondered or she thought, but they can clutter up your writing and also create a sense of separation from the character's feelings. We feel like we're being held at arm's length if we keep reading she thought, when what we really want to read is just what she thought those thoughts, all those feelings. Maybe next time I'll talk about the advantages of first person, because there is a mix of first and third person stories in my upcoming collection. And of course, there is that alchemist story uh, I mentioned earlier that I've just rewritten from scratch, changing it from third to first person. So that will be a good example of, of um, 
my thinking, like why, why would I choose to do that? Um, considering all the brilliant advantages that third person point of view gives you and that I've just described. In the meantime, while it's true that I'm in the editing stage of the collection, I'm only part way through the drafts and I'm not yet completely certain that I will use all of the drafts that I've lined up. This is one of the reasons I let story drafts rest for at least a few weeks each. I can't really be sure of the quality of a story or its true potential until I've spent some time away from it and then come back to it fresh. With the alchemist story that I mentioned, there was enough in it to spark me off to want to rewrite it completely and in a, com a completely different narrative style. But I don't yet know if there might be other story drafts that make me go, hmm, not really sure about this. It can happen. So in general, you know I'm always open to new story ideas. I love brainstorming story ideas. But there is the potential still for a plot idea that emerges in today's brainstorms, or even next times, uh, to end up being a story in the third volume of the Book of Exquisite Corpse. It is time to see what new ideas crook their fingers at us from the socks of destiny. That's right. And regular listeners will know that Exquisite Corpse randomises words and phrases uh, to make a strange sentence that goes describing word noun, action, describing word noun. And you can send me these words through my play page at anatizard.com. But there are other ways to join in. Um, I hope you'll consider joining in by picking up a pen and seeing if you can come up with any story ideas or or once we've come up with ideas on the show just trying to see if you can write a story based on those ideas so let's pick out our first describing word from the describing word sock this is from mariah he sends me lots of words deadly Ooh, there's a dark start for you try for a noun. This is from Warner Hedgehog. Hamster. <laughs> we have a deadly hamster on our hands. Right. I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to go for it. A, an action from the action sock and see what happens. So this is from... Elena Dennison, who is a poet on Twitter, mesmerized. <laughs> okay, next word. It's another describing word, which is from, if I can disentangle them from my hand, T.F. Burke, punctual. <laughs> And the final word is, let's see, it says, this is from Margaret Homersham, 
<laughs> elephant. <laughs> right, let's put it together and see what we can come up with. So all together we have the deadly hamster mesmerized the punctual elephant. Okay, so as usual, I feel like we have a challenge on our hands, but there are ways to think outside the box on all of these. Um, and of course, we don't have to um, make up a story idea that exactly follows the entire exquisite corpse. But um, let's just see where this leads. So we've got, initially, I'm just thinking we've got a couple of animals here. Interesting that animals came up and one is very, very small and domesticated and the other is very, very large and not domesticated. Um, I like mesmerised. This is an interesting idea that a character who is deadly will mesmerise another character. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to need some green tea already. This is brewing, been brewing for a little while. So give it a stir. Okay, let's think about this. So with mesmerized, it makes me think of um, it's a cartoon snake with swirly eyes. I'm thinking that might have been on the Jungle Book. Not 100% sure, but um, yeah, for an animal to mesmerize another animal, I do associate that with cartoon snakes. Um, but we're not, we're dealing with a hamster. We have a funny mix of not just large and small elephant and hamster, but we have the dark, the deadly and and the comedic because deadly hamster it's uh it's rather unexpected hmm but maybe what if we have okay what if we have a real hamster okay we're not gonna have the story from the hamster's point of view i mean we could and that would be extraordinarily weird but let's think we have a, a pet hamster a boy buys a hamster for a pet um, and from the hamster's point of view he would be very large and very loud he stomps around the house um, so the ham in the hamster's point of view um, he's like an elephant he's wild noisy um, he is at least punctual a punctual elephant in that he cleans out the cage provides food and fills up the water dispenser um, on a regular basis. What if, what if the, his parents wanted to encourage him to be more sensitive? Maybe they were horrified to find out that he's been bullying other kids at school. And that's why they've got him the hamster because they want to give him something to care for, to sort of bring out his nurturing side. It's like, here, here's something to look after. And just because someone or something is smaller than you doesn't mean uh, you can lord it over them. So that's a possibility. But then, <laughs> unbeknownst to them, 
this is a very peculiar type of hamster. It is a, de- it is a deadly hamster that mesmerizes their son. <laughs> oh, this is so weird. I feel like we're sort of um, teetering on a very fine line between horror and hilarity. Um, yes, it does. I can see this has possibilities. So maybe um, this deadly hamster, I mean, it's okay. The obvious thing is that he kills the boy, but that's then it's over too quickly. And that's maybe a bit clunky in my mind. I think the hamster whom this boy nurtures, it actually starts to bring out a sensitive side in him. Um, the hamster mesmerizes him into hurting others worse like it makes him worse and on the outside of it he seems to have improved his behavior his attitude overall he's perhaps more quietly spoken um, a bit more polite at school you know doing what the teachers tell him to but then he starts secretly um hunting people down and hurting them maybe even killing them um that's really quite dark but we are talking about a deadly hamster here people so yeah it's it's unusual but you could do something with that for sure um let's let's try for another exquisite corpse right our first describing word is from captain random number 10 on Twitter or whatever it wants to call itself these days. I can't seem to keep up. Um, the word is excited. Okay. What or who is excited? Our next word from the noun sock is from Warner Hedgehog again. Brie. <laughs> As in the cheese. Hmm, okay, let's um, find an action for this. This is from a Twitter or X ID, Edge O'Aaron one <laughs> Rode his pet mammoth to. Okay, just demonstrates you can do quite a lot with an action. Um, as long as it follows on with the uh, you know, in a sentence, as it follows on smoothly onto uh, a noun or a described noun. So our final describing word for this one is from Joseph Clark. Incandescent. <laughs> okay. And our final word is... Now we're back to Mariah. Thermometer. Ooh, an incandescent thermometer. I like, I like the idea, it kind of works. Okay, let's have a look at the entire exquisite corpse. We have the excited Brie rode his pet mammoth to the incandescent (laughs) thermometer. (laughs) I'm gonna need some more green tea, so just gonna have to wait oh wow at first glance 
I don't think I'm going to be using this in my short story collection, but you don't know, you just don't know until you start exploring these ideas. Fueled with the power of green tea. Okay, so the excited Bree <laughs> rode his pet mammoth to the incandescent thermometer. Well, I really think you could do something with incandescent thermometer on its own because you don't have to stick to the entire exquisite corpse, even though I love doing the puzzle solving that's involved in trying to make the whole sentence work as a unit. Um, a piece of cheese in someone's pocket. Mm, can we be creative here with the word excited and say it means it can mean jiggled about in someone's pocket in the same way that agitated can mean sort of jiggling something or, or whipping it up, um, stirring it quickly. I don't know. It feels quite Flintstones with the pet mammoth. Um, are we talking crazy science here? Someone, a big cheese, who's made so much money that they're doing a bit of a Jurassic Park. So we've got a very successful business person who has made so much money, they have had a mammoth cloned from some very old DNA. But where would you get to ride it? In this world, there wouldn't be enough space, or well, certainly you would be seen. People would ask questions unless you found a portal into the past or just another world where there's a lot of space. A deserted world. You wonder what's happened there. There's no sign of life in this other world except perhaps plants and insects, maybe birds, but no big mammals. And so there's questions to ask about what's happened in this world, which is where our big cheese takes, <laughs> takes their uh, mammoth for walks. And why is it that they are going towards an incandescent thermometer? Is this maybe the mystery of this whole thing? This, this person has just paid a load of money. Um, it was that or, or take a trip into space. And they thought, no, this is far more interesting, far more groundbreaking. But this world, there's, there's no explanation as to... Um, why there aren't more or larger animals, certainly mammals. And maybe they just, they're trying to work out, um, if, just find some signs of previous life there. Um, it's become a kind of expensive hobby to this big cheese from the city. Um, but maybe when they're, while they're investigating, they actually come across this one very incongruous object, which seems to be um, an extremely advanced piece of technology, an incandescent thermometer, a special kind of thermometer they've never seen the like of before. And they wonder, is this something that has destroyed life or deterred larger forms of life? 
This is all getting extremely weird. <laughs> but it is an extremely weird, exquisite corpse. Maybe one of the sci-fi writers. I'm not quite sure. But I do like the idea of an incandescent thermometer. And it is interesting how those words go together because incandescent means sort of emitting light because of heat and thermometer measures heat and cold. Interesting. Maybe something to add to my alchemist story? I don't know. Right, I think it's time for the third and final exquisite corpse of the day. Let's find something a bit more ordinary and grounded, shall we? Right, what have we got? This is from Paul Thomas, stuck. Next word is from Elena Dennison, curls. <laughs> Sounds like a dodgy hair day to me. Um, but let's not, I'm not going to pass judgment until we've got the whole exquisite quartz. So this action is from me. Robbed. <laughs> okay. The last describing word is from Warner Hedgehog. Again, he's the star of the show, I think. Peculiar. Hmm. And the final word is from Martin Horton. Cyclops. <laughs> Peculiar indeed. Okay, let's have a look at the whole exquisite corpse. The entire exquisite corpse is the stuck curls robbed the peculiar cyclops. Peculiar indeed. Um, I think we're going to have to cast our net a little bit wider than the literal meanings here. Although it's not clear what all the literal meanings are because what are stuck curls? Initially, I'm thinking, yeah, a hairstyle with too much hairspray. So the curls are stuck, they're rigid. Or what else could it be? Some kind of contraption? Wires or cables that have become tangled? Some kind of trap or a trip hazard with cables lying around, sort of getting stuck in, in curls. And a peculiar cyclops. Are we going to take this literally or... I think the easiest thing to, to do with this, because it doesn't really sound like a pub name or, or anything like that, is to go with someone in fancy dress someone who plays the part of a cyclops in a sci-fi TV series or a film. I like the idea of a series, a long-running sci-fi series. Um, it's interesting, when you look at it, so this, this actor is going to be robbed by someone with use of the stuck curls, whatever that means. Um, so we don't know who the villain is. The, the exquisite corpse hasn't given us both characters. 
Um, so we often have to look outside, beyond the confines of the sentence to imagine who these characters might be to make this thing happen. Who is the robber and why do they rob someone who dresses up as a cyclops or plays the part of a cyclops in a series? The reason for robbing them? Perhaps just they're rich. A successful actress. What makes her peculiar? Other than the fact that she plays a cyclops and that's her day job. I like, I like the idea of a story where the actor seems odd to the rest of the cast. Perhaps they think she's paranoid. She's had some kind of dream or vision of being strangled by cables. It's like she's foreseen something that's going to happen to her, but everyone thinks she's she's got you know she's got problems, um, and she's imagining things and working herself up into a frenzy for nothing. She gets uncomfortable on set when there's too many cables around, or if she sees that they're looped over each other. But then the irony is that at, at the end, maybe she does almost get killed or have an accident because of cables left out like that, or she's trapped because of them. And so that's when she's robbed. Mm, it has the feeling of a murder mystery where the main character kind of knows that something awful is going to happen to them but maybe you could write it in such a way that both you and the other characters just don't believe her she seems ridiculous um paranoid um would you write it from her point of view as a sort of unreliable narrator who then at, at the end there's a twist turns out she was right or would you write it from another character's point of view? Ooh, that could also be done as an unreliable narrator. But it turns out that they are the villain. They're the perpetrator. So all along, you have it from this person's point of view and they just, um, maybe they're a runner or something like that. They're quite jealous, but sort of in awe of a lot of the actors. But this particular actor, he's always, um, he's secretly sort of putting him, putting her down. Um, maybe he writes a journal or something like that. Um, and all along he's, he's sort of mocking her for her ridiculous paranoia. What fame has done to her? It's addled her brain. Um, and then at the end, it turns out that he's the one who's actually all along found ways to subtly make her feel anxious um, and maybe maybe encouraged this uh, fear that she has over cables and in the end, very maliciously, he finds a way to attack her, trap her perhaps, trip her over or otherwise find a way to rob her. Ooh, or, or does he rob her of her sanity? And that's what's going on. Ooh, that's quite dark. So let's look at what we've come up with today. Um, with the first one, we have a deadly hamster mesmerizing 
a less than innocent boy to hunt other people just when he seems to be improving his behaviour and seeming more polite and considerate than before. Then we have a big cheese, a successful business person going on adventures in another world where he can ride a pet mammoth. But why has life either not thrived or died out in this secret world? Why is it half empty? And what is this peculiar gadget, a futuristic technology that doesn't really fit an incandescent thermometer? Is it something to do with a kind of climate crisis in this other world? And finally, an actress seemingly paranoid about cables tripping over them or being strangulated by them. Amongst a, an odd cast of other characters who all struggle to take her seriously, especially one of the runners who despises her for her success and her peculiarity, her fears before utterly justifying them. I hope you enjoyed today's show and that I've given you some new story ideas to think about, whether you draft them in first person or third person. Go forth and be inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.